she talks about uh, them having fun in this neat little restaurant, kind of a theme restaurant. And um, they ask him a question. So five-year-old boy asking a question, what do you want to, what do you want to do when you grow up? And they're all expecting, you know, typical boy answers. I want to, I want to be a pirate or I want to be an astronaut or whatever it is. And he says, uh, when he grows up, he wants to cut with a knife. <laughs> kind of, kind of weird, maybe disturbing if you don't ask for some context on that. Uh, but he says he wants to cut with a knife. And so in his little five-year-old mind, what he's thinking about is when he goes fishing with daddy, he sees daddy get to cut with a knife and he's too little to do that. And he wants to be like daddy. And so when he gets big, he wants to cut with a knife. And that's, you know, that's him expressing how he looks at his dad and how, how he wants to be like his dad. And I think that illustration does a great job really setting the groundwork with what an awesome responsibility we have when, when it comes to parenthood. You know, we have these little human beings who the Bible says have the same bent towards sin that we have, and their eyes are fixed on us. They're ready to soak in how life is supposed to be lived by watching you. Yikes. So, I mean, who, who's up to that? Uh, that is, that is a really intimidating responsibility. But I want to comfort you with the fact that, uh, right at the beginning, I want to acknowledge none of us is up for that on our own. Uh, we need God's grace as our foundation in parenting as we do in all of life. And so that's what we're going to be talking about, uh, throughout this study and particularly as a foundation tonight. And so the, um, the first point there on your outline is that raising children is a matter of stewardship. Raising children is a matter of stewardship. Our key verse is Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. I don't remember if I have. Yeah, I've got that as, as a slide. Um, and this psalm uh, the whole psalm in which this verse, the key verse for tonight is found, goes on to talk about um, children being a gift and a reward from God. And, and that's where we get the name of this series, in fact, Entrusted. That's how Betsy explains in the book. That's what uh, they have in mind when they name this, this uh, study, Entrusted with a Child's Heart. We've been entrusted by God with the care of our children. You know, you go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis, and you see that the Lord intends for his image bearers, you and I, people he's made in his image, to multiply. And in so doing, to reflect his glory in all the earth. Genesis 1.28 says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. So God created humans as a race in order to multiply the reflection of his glory in his world. You know, think about humans versus angels. Angels don't marry. The Bible says they don't marry. They're not given a marriage. They don't reproduce. Um, but God made us differently. He made us because we, we reflect his image and his, his desire is that we multiply that image throughout the world that he created. So God's entrusted us with these little lives whose purpose is to reflect his glory back to himself. And uh, I don't mean I don't mean just um, generally that he's entrusted parents with children. 
I mean specifically that God has entrusted your children to you. Think about that. In a sense, you know, God has given you your spouse. I teach this in premarital counseling. Um, we teach that, you know, when, when you're, when you get married, God is in charge of everything. He's sovereign. And so when you find yourself in a marriage and things are difficult, you can take comfort in the fact that God has planned this out and he knows the trial you're going through because he's planned it. If you, you know, if you have struggles, um, but humanly speaking, when it comes to marriage, you've got some sort of a choice in the matter, right? You know, you do your own shopping, you try to find the right person, humanly speaking, God's sovereign. He's, you know, ordained it all, but you get to, you know, put in your due diligence there. But that's not the case with your children, uh, other than perhaps maybe adoption. God bestows your children on you. And it's not by accident that your children are your children. So God has intentionally entrusted those specific children to you. And what does he want us to do with them? Well, in Ephesians 6, 4, we're told that fathers, as a represent, representative of the, the parents, they're told that they're not to exasperate their children and instead to bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, if you're not a parent yet, the connection to our next point may not be as obvious to you. But if you do have children, then it is obvious to you that when we talk about raising children being a matter of stewardship, uh, that the next point is is very true. Raising children will force us to face our limitations. You know, eventually, the goal in parenting is that eventually we turn our children back over to the care and protection of God. Uh, ultimately, he's, he's always the one in whose care and under whose protection they are. But the goal is we have them as infants, and they're utterly dependent on our activities to take care of them. God has entrusted them to us and we care for them. We feed them. We clothe them. We watch out for their safety. We teach them. And as they grow, godly parents keep reminding themselves that the goal is to release them, that all of the control and care that you have over the children when they're little, as they grow, is to be lessening because you're preparing them to go on their own and follow the Lord and, and uh, pursue him with their lives under their own volition. And so during the first 20 or so years of their lives, um, we watch over them, we take care of them, and we've been called to be good stewards of them. But at the end of our lives, at the end of our time, um, uh, on that task of preparing them, we want to be able to say, like we read in Third John chapter 4, I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children walking in the truth. That's Third John verse 4. So, so how do we do that? How do we get from infant, knows nothing, uh, folly is bound up in the heart of the child, Proverbs says, but, but discipline will drive it far from them. So how do we get this little sinner from total utter dependence on us to the point of we now have great joy because we hear they're walking in the truth? Well, I'm not going to tell you that I have all of the answers. Pastor Ritt uh, so far hasn't clued me in that he has all the answers. I'm guessing he's like me. We, we don't have all of the answers. 
Uh, in fact, if someone tells you that they have all the answers, I would encourage you to not trust them. Uh, they're either tricking you or they're deceived themselves because none of us has all of the answers. Um, so what do we do then to get from that point A to point B? So think about this. Have you ever been lost? Who, who's been lost? Let's, let's get some uh, interaction going on here. Somebody unmute yourself and tell me about being lost. Anybody ever been really lost? No brave souls. I I'll can't go. see participants. What's that? I'll go. Go for it. I think Pastor Brown was with me at the time. And uh, we were a little crazy when we got out of high school. So <laughs> he and our other good friend, Mark Bassett, we went to a movie at Fairlane. And when we came out at night, I thought we were going back down towards Down River. And we were actually going in the opposite direction. And we're just sitting there just kind of, you know, talking it up. Next thing I know, I see we're not too far from Port Huron. So we, we went the wrong direction, <laughs> and we really got lost. So it took us a while to get back that night. That's yeah, my story. Yeah. yeah, that's a good one. Um, I remember one time, Julie, my wife's on the call so she can keep my recollection straight. I have a, a, a way of mincing or mixing memories together. So Julie, correct me if I'm wrong on any of this. Um, I think I was in upper elementary school or maybe, maybe it was the first year of junior high. I think I was very young and I got lost on a motorcycle in the woods in Baldwin, Michigan. Um, we would, you know, we were always riding dirt bikes up there. My papa lived in Baldwin and so we'd come up from the city and visit him. And we just loved riding dirt bikes out on the trails. And usually there was an adult with us or it was a bunch of us kids together and somebody would figure out we knew where we were going. Well, I was just hot dog. I wasn't supposed to be back there by myself, if I recall correctly. And I was just hot dogging it back there, enjoying myself and not watching where I was going. And before I knew it, I didn't know where I was. I was lost on the trails back there. And um, I got to one point where I got in this place where it was like mud and soupy and like I had to dodge some trucks that were coming by mud bogging and I'm thinking I'm in trouble and it's starting to get it's like seven o'clock it's getting dusk now and I'm, think, I'm picturing myself lost in the woods overnight and then bringing out a search party I would be so dead um, uh, not because of animals because of my parents and um, I was just terrified actually. Even after I found the main road, I was terrified that I'd get busted for not staying on the trail that I knew or going out there by myself. And I had no idea where I was, even on the main road. I just came out on this main road and all the roads are straight and they just go for a long way. And every now and then you'll hit a crossroad and all the trees look the same. It's just all these tall, tall trees. And then there's some open fields where they have like deer reserves and stuff. So I'm just, and I get on the main road and I'm just cruising and I'm, the more scared I got, the faster I went. And um, all of a sudden, I just remember uh, going, this looks a little familiar. And then just I'm going down the road and I recognize Papa's house. And I was like, OK, whew, there it is. So I pulled off. I go put the bike away. I go in the house and I'm just like just playing. And I don't know if they ever realized that I was lost, but that was terrifying. I don't, I don't think I was ever so scared. You know, that's that's not a common feeling. It's kind of hard to describe that. 
to people these days because we all have these map and GPS equipped supercomputers that we carry around in our pockets. And so getting actually getting lost is not a common thing as much these days. Maybe if you go on a trip to Mexico um, and take the wrong exit, <laughs> we know something about that. Uh, if your children went on a trip with us, then just ignore what I said. Um, but some of you are old enough to remember a time when people used to carry around paper maps to help them find their way around when they got lost. I remember we, I was so excited when we got these maps that were laminated. You remember that when the gas station started coming out with the nice laminated maps and we had like Detroit area, Southern suburbs and Michigan. We had three different nice laminated maps. Um, but that's the way it worked. You know, you would have to pull this map out and try to get the gist of what was on the map. And then you had to take uh, what you learned from the map and look around you and get your bearings by noticing some landmarks or a street name or something like that. And then you took what you see in front of you, correlate it to the map. And now you're going to figure out, all right, so we want to go. Looks like we need to head east. That would be this way. And then, then you go. It wasn't like, you know, you just pull up and you say, I want to go put in the name of where you want to go. Hit, hit directions and then your phone tells you turn right. It wasn't like that. And uh, it was a little more work. You had to draw some, you know, you had to learn some things, draw some conclusions. And it presupposed that you had an idea in mind of where you wanted to go, what your destination was. So we're going to talk a lot about in this course using God's word and the principles in it as our guide for parenting. And using God's word as our guide as we parent is a lot more like using that OG map uh, than using the GPS-powered smartphone maps. You know, it's like using the original paper maps because you're not going to be able to go to a verse all the time and see chapter and verse, you know, um, you know, my, my kid tried to body slam his sister off of the pool deck, you know, what is there? you're going to have to draw. That's maybe a more obvious one. But some of the situations you're going to get into in parenting, you're not going to be able to always find chapter and verse. And so it's going to presume that we have an idea in mind of our destination, our goal in mind of where we're headed. And we're going to need to get a really firm grasp and understanding of what, God, what God's word, the map, uh, tells us what's the lay of the land in the map here, because we're going to need to start trying to correlate the map to the landmarks that we're seeing in our situation, in our experience. <clears throat> so God's word does tell us that it contains all that we need to know when it comes to life and godliness. If you wanted to jot down a couple references related to that, you could write down Second Peter 1.3 that uh, we have all that we, God in his goodness has given us all that we need that pertains to life and godliness. And as well, First uh, Timothy chapter 4 talks about this, uh, especially if you look at verses 8 through 13. Um, we're told that God's, um, God's word, that uh, we have what we need to live a godly life, and that that is profitable more than any temporal um, solutions, things like exercise that we could be pursuing, pursuing what God says, knowledge of him, and particularly that coming from the end of the section there in First Timothy 4, it talks about uh, reading scripture regularly, and uh, Paul's urging Timothy to devote himself to the regular reading of scripture in, in the congregation. So God's word gives us what we need, 
Uh, it's not always chapter and verse. Sometimes it is. But uh, in whether in precept or in principle, it's got what we need. So we need to get to know it. So we need to know when it comes to parenting, what it's about. What are, what are we aiming for? And then God's word in general, what are the key principles of life God word, God's word gives us? And then we're going to try to correlate those things with our situation as we parent. So I'm telling you in advance, if you're not a parent yet, uh, that parenting um, will force you to face your limitations. And you're going to need, uh, you're going to need to not wing it. You're not going to be able to find all the answers in yourself. Um, you can't rely entirely on the generation that came before you because we all make mistakes. God's word is your guide. And as those other resources, your friends, your uh, leadership of your church, your parents, as they can point you and help you understand what God's word says, uh, they can be of help too. But God is the one uh, who can give us what we need to do this. And I talked about before, if you're not a parent, sometimes it might be hard to understand. But when you become a parent, those of you who are, some of you are new parents. And I think you probably relate to this kind of thing, especially if you're a new parent. I just remember my first uh, confrontation with this reality when uh, my daughter, who is now married and on this call, uh, was born. And I remember, I don't remember what night it was when she was home. It might have been the first night she was home. I don't remember how long she'd been home, but my wife probably remembers. I just couldn't sleep. I'm, I'm laying in my bed with this, this um, almost inexplicable fear, this, this sense of, you know, when you, when you know you've got to do something, you have no idea how you're going to do this. And I just remember get, getting, praying for the Lord to help me calm down and to trust him. And I just remember going in her room and listening to make sure she was still breathing. Like as, as if it was my job to make sure she keeps breathing. You know what I mean? Uh, it's just overwhelming when you first are confronted with the responsibility of this life. You know, I remember when we took her home, uh, we go and they let us put her in the car and then we get in the car and we look at each other like they're letting us leave with the baby. <laughs> is this okay? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, it is a huge responsibility. It will bring you face to face with your limitations. Uh, as a human. And so I'm telling you in advance that raising children should cause you to do the next point, And that is uh, to depend on God. That's the third point there. Raising children should cause us to depend on God. And the focus as you get to the end of chapter one in this book um, is really focusing on the gospel. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start a little bit broader than that, but then focus in on the gospel because that's, it's crucial. Um, whether you're a believer, a Christian now, a follower of Jesus or not. Um, so the, the first point there is uh, we, we depend on God's word to put life in its proper context. So raising children causes us to depend on God. And the first part of that that I want to just uh, mention is that we depend on his word to put life in its proper context. I talked a lot about God's word earlier, so I'm not going to say a ton about that. but as your children get older, you know, Betsy talks about in the chapter, um, recognizing pretty early on, just a couple months into it, that both the child and the parent begin to recognize that this child has its own will. You know, there's the will of the parent. At the very beginning, the will of the parent dictates everything. And uh, I guess at risk of embarrassment, I'll tell one more Emma story. Uh, we were going to, how old was she, Julie? Oh, she was two years old, though. 
I think she was about two years old. Um, but she was a really easy baby. Um, and she was very compliant. It was bedtime. She would like get her, she was, she slept really early. Uh, at an early age, she started sleeping through the night. She would go get her blanket and her binky and ask to go to bed. I mean, it was really weird. <laughs> uh, people, people probably thought we were making up stories and we would tell this and you would have to see it to believe it. But we were going out to eat with the banks. Many of you know the banks. We were going out to eat with them one Sunday and we were getting out of the car. I don't remember the whole deal of how this happened. Uh, what caused the blow up, but this very compliant child, uh, two years in, which I think is way longer than most of us will get with most children, just had a meltdown and she just started going ballistic. I mean, she wouldn't let me unbuckle her seatbelt. She was just going nuts. And, uh, but at some point in parenting, you start to recognize, okay, this child that I had total control over, I thought I could, you know, dictate how it goes with them has their own will. And as your child's will starts bumping into your will and the good things you're trying to steer them in, as you try to do what the Bible tells us as parents, bring them up in the nurture and instruction of the Lord, um, we've got to use God's word to help them put their experience in its proper context, put life in its proper context. I remember when uh, one of the girls was younger and uh, talking about the idea that we're sinners. And, you know, we were trying to explain to them that we're sinners and that's why we don't obey um, perfectly and we can't obey perfectly because we're sinners. And a light bulb coming out for one of them and them saying, um, so if I can't help it, then why am I getting in trouble? <laughs> and it was a good question, right? Uh, and but God's word answers this. God's word explains that just like the law was given to Israel. Um, we give our children guidelines and boundaries. And when it's little, when they're non, when they're not believers, when they're, uh, not rescued yet at that point from the, from their sin and their sin nature, they haven't comprehended and accepted the gospel. The boundaries we are giving them, uh, help them see the truth of God's word that they, whether they like it or not, will constantly run into, uh, the impossibility of their perfect obedience. And so we use God's word, then we point them to what he says to help them put life into its proper context. And ultimately, what that means are the two points you've got below that, that we all have a problem. Our problem is sin. That's the bad news. You look at Romans chapter 3 and verse 10, a very well-known passage there tells us, I don't think I put these on the screen. Oh, I did. I put verse 23 on there. Verse 10 in Romans chapter 3 says, that um, there is none righteous, no, not one. And you go on, read down about there's this long diatribe about how we as a race are a lost cause, that we have no hope in ourselves to be reconciled to God. And then you get to verse 23 and it says, for all have sinned. It's talking about Israel versus the non-Israel peoples. And it says they're all the same. All have sinned and fall people with the law, without the law. They've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Remember in the beginning what I said we were made to do? We were made to reflect God's glory to himself. Well, the Bible says we fail at that. We fail irreparably at that. All of sin and fall short of the glory of God. But there is good news. So as we give our children this context, we first need to make sure we understand it and have appropriated it, that we've been, uh, we've accepted this good news. But our sin, the bad news, is answered by God's word, God's solution, the good news, a savior. That is 
that Jesus came to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. Verse 23 said that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3 verse 24 says, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. So we have a really bad problem. It's worse than we could imagine. We cannot fix it ourselves. But the good news is God has done what's necessary to fix it in sending his son to be uh, the substitute for us to die as a sinner in our place, though he was not a sinner, so that we can have his righteousness and stand before God justified. And that's what that whole, if you've never read Romans, particularly Romans chapter three, I highly recommend you read through it. It explains that in great detail, how Jesus makes it possible for us to be, when we were God's enemies, to be brought back, not just no longer enemies, but into the family of God. So we need, as we're raising children, it should cause us to depend on God. We depend on his word to put life in its proper context, explaining to our children that they, like us, have a problem called sin. And like us as well, they can be rescued from it um, by trusting Jesus as their savior. And all of that said, all of that said, do you know there is still nothing you can do to make your children put their trust in that? There's nothing you could, you could just communicate it perfectly. Really, you can't because we can't do anything perfectly, but you could communicate it as good as any other human would communicate it. You can live it out consistently in front of them. And you know what? Your child still has that will we were talking about. They make their own decisions. They will um, decide whether to trust Jesus as their savior or not and believe what you've told them about life's context from God's word. And even, uh, even their own choice is hampered by that sin that we talked about. So we need to, in the last point there, depend on God's grace to show our children their need. So that's, that's really the thrust of the rest of what we're going to study. It all is built on what we just said there. We're going to tell you all kinds of things over the next several weeks, 16 weeks in all, 15 more after this, all kinds of things you can do, humanly speaking, to help your children see and understand um, the truth of the gospel and how to follow the Lord, how to, how to pursue the Lord with their lives. But the bottom line is this is in God's hands. And he will take the planting that we do and uh, the watering that we do, and he will cause there to be growth, and he has to do it. So as we do this, then it, you know, it may, means things are really important, like we stick to what God says, not our ability to persuade or our ability to give guilt trips or our ability um, to impose penalties. There will be some of those things in their places. But we have to depend on God's grace. We need to be pursuing um, God, asking him to work in our children's hearts and then letting them see by how we try to interact and point them to him that we do trust him because that's what we want to model. We want them to trust him. So that's that's really uh, the point of this week's lesson. Raising children is a matter of stewardship. It will force us to face our limitations. And it should cause us to depend on God, to show them the context of life, and to depend on his grace for their needs. So any questions about any of that?